This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, I'm Jesse Dave Fox, and this is Good One, a podcast about jokes. What makes a joke a good one? Obviously, it's that it was picked by the guest or I and played at the start of an interview, but at least to me, there is more to it. Despite the fact that I have interviewed a variety of types of comedians, be it in terms of age, gender identity, sexual orientation, race, religion, style of comedy, medium of comedy, points of view on comedy, if there's any commonality, I hope it's in the quality of the jokes. To the best of my ability and the guests' abilities, we're talking about good jokes on this show. What do I mean by good? You know, there's, there's plenty of ways to answer that, but for me, it comes down to how much goes into the jokes. And I, I mean that broadly. It, it can be how much work goes into crafting the joke, how much thought went into trying to innovate with the joke, how much insight goes into the social commentary of the joke, how much of your body goes into the physical performance, and it could be how much of yourself, your life, your pain you give to the audience. These jokes can be short, they can be long, they can be stupid, they can be smart, but no matter what, they're made with care and intention. This is all to say the joke Jen Kirkman and I talk about, the closer from her fantastic 2017 special, Just Keep Living, is a good joke. And as we talk about, Jen put a lot of everything to make a joke about a fairly well-covered subject special. So without further ado, here's that joke, and then Jen and I discussing it. I know it sounds like I hate men. I really, really don't. I love men. And I kind of look at them the way I look at children, you know, which is just like, oh my God, like for people who don't know what you're doing, you have so much energy about it, you know? Um, but the, the, one, the one area that I think is really cool, I do like that people say they're feminists and it's like, you know, white people can say they identify for Black Lives Matter, and men can say they're feminists. And it's really cool, and I admire it. So there's one area, though, that I don't know why we can't nip this. It would be so quick and easy to do, is street harassment. It is still a thing that we are shouting at some men to understand, you know, that it is a really serious, scary thing. And I feel like if you're going to yell out of your car at a woman, commit to it. Get an old-timey car with a horn that's like, oh, like, it's, <laughs> it's so stupid. So... You know, mo all of my guy friends are not idiots. They do not act this way. But I found out that one of my friends, who I really respect, does this. I'm like, you street harass? He's like, it's not harassment, it's a compliment. And I go, well, what kind of things do you do? He goes, I've yelled nice tits. I'm like, you yell nice tits at a woman? He goes, her tits were nice. I'm like, I understand the uh, inspiration behind it. I'm just... You can't do that to us. It, it's, it's, it's scary. He goes, what's scary about nice tits? I go, well... He goes, it's a compliment. I go, no, I, okay, I get it. Let me take this apart. I get on its face that nice tits, dictionary, technically a compliment. Yes. But we don't know if we don't respond the way that you want us to respond, or if we don't respond at all, nice tits can be followed up with, fuck you, bitch. And then we get scared. And my friend goes, oh, I got it. Well, what if I just yell nice tits, but don't yell fuck you, bitch, after? I'm like, no, but we don't. We don't know. We don't know nice tits. We, compliments and murder both start with compliments. So we don't know. We don't know. We don't know when someone says nice tits if it's just going to be beep beep, nice tits, bye, and they drive off. Or if it's going to be like, nice tits, stop the car and like, nice tits, they're so nice, I'm going to chop them up, put them in a blender. Then I'm going yeah, to put them in a freezer. I'm going to make tits pops, tits, tits, tits. We don't know. We don't know. 
So my friend goes, what should I say then? I go, just say nothing, say no words, say no words. And he goes, that's my free speech. That's free speech, can't do that. I go, okay, it's not really what free speech means, but okay, fine, free speech. You, I didn't say you couldn't say nice tits. I said, please don't yell it to us. So maybe if you're driving by a woman who has nice tits, you could roll up your window and smash your face against the glass and just go, nice tits, you could do that. Or you could see a woman with nice tits and you can call a friend and go, nice tits, nice tits, I see some nice tits, nice tits. Or if you have the time, veer off the road, go into a field, get on your knees and let God know, nice tits. My friend and I could not come to any agreement on this. And so I was like, maybe he's right. If we just yell, no, 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 guys just hear their mothers, nying, nying, nying. And so we can't just say, don't say this, don't, just maybe there's a middle ground. Maybe there's something you can say. I don't know what it is, but I had an experience recently that gave me kind of an idea. So I was in North Carolina and I was walking by myself and uh, I was on the side of the road and it was dusk and a white guy in a truck drove by. And then he stopped and he pulled back and he just stared at me out the window. And I was like, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> if you're a woman or not white or gay and you're walking alone in the South and a white guy in a truck pulls up, you know that in about 20 minutes there's gonna be candles and flowers right where you're standing. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah. So the guy rolls down his window and goes, excuse me, ma'am, you mind if I say something real creepy to you? <laughs> And like an idiot, I walk up to the truck, okay. <laughs> and then I get mad and I think of, I take a minute and I think of all the women from real, real severe street harassment, acid in the face to just little minor infractions like nice tits. And I'm like, no, no, you cannot say something creepy to me. And I go, no, you cannot. And fuck you. And I start walking away all proud of myself. And then I realize, oh, I look crazy. Because that's what happens. Is like, if you're talking to a girl in a bar and it's going well, and after a minute, she's just like, you. You're like, what I do? And she's like, nothing. But we're taught to be polite. And so we're holding it in, holding it in. When all we have to say is, I don't really feel like talking, but we talk and then we're like, eat shit. And you're very confused. And so we have to get better at that. And so anyway, he goes, ma'am, I didn't mean to scare you. I'm sorry. I, I, I just wanted to say, I love your boots. That's it. I love your boots. I was wearing these big black platform boots. And he goes, I'm a married man. I'm not trying to pick up on you. I've never noticed fashion in my life. I just... Well, I have one more question. I'm like, oh, here comes a creepy question. I go, what? He goes, are they comfortable? I go, yeah. He goes, well, that's a win-win for you, ain't it? I'm like. <laughs> and he said, thank you. Thank you for letting me give you that compliment. I couldn't have lived with myself if I hadn't. And then he drove off and I was like, he couldn't have lived with himself if he didn't give me that compliment. That is so dramatic. And again, it is hard for men in the world. We must be kind to them. And so, but part of me is evil. And I was like, God, it would have been great if I didn't let him compliment me. And somehow I got to see the rest of his life played out, that deep regret, you know? It's just like some kind of play set, set in the South. And he's just at home every night. And he's like, not hungry tonight, Martha. She's like, Henry, I made your favorite. Two nights in a row and you haven't eaten it. You're all bones. Are you cheating on me, Henry? No, Martha, it's not about sex. Sometimes things are about fashion. <laughs> 
son, if you ever get the chance to compliment a woman and you don't take it, you might not be able to live with yourself. <laughs> Listen to your daddy. And then he's on his deathbed years later and his father's like, son, any more wisdom before you go? And he's just like, oh, black boots. And then he dies. <laughs> and no one knows what he means by that. And his wife, she never understood him. She's like, black boots? I know what that means. His daddy was in the war. His daddy wore black boots. He wants to wear his daddy's army boots in his coffin. And he doesn't. And she's shoving the daddy's black boots on his corpse feet. And he's up in heaven like, that's not the black boots I meant. I like women's shoes. That's right, Jesus. I like women's shoes. I can be myself up here. So that's what I started to think. The compliment, if you must yell at us, yell about our outfit, not our bodies. Because we don't want to think about the fact that we have a body every five minutes and you guys make us think about it all the time when we don't want to. You know that feeling when you leave the house and you just have your keys and your phone and you feel so free? We would love to feel that way when we go to the bank, but we can't take our tits and vagina and leave them on the kitchen table. So uh, we've got to take these things even at 8.30 in the morning. We're like, oh God, everyone's looking. Uh. And you know, and if someone's like, nice ass, but we don't feel good about our ass that day, we're like, is it sarcastic? Like it's a whole mind fuck, right? But if you just compliment our clothes, I think we can all get along, right? If you want to street harass us and you drive by in your truck and you're like, sweetheart, hey, honey, that little bow matches that detail in your shoes. That is not lost on me, baby. Oh, I love a good accessory. I hope you're going to dinner tonight. Doesn't have to be with a man, could be by yourself. You seem very unafraid here of ISIS. And I like that about you. You're walking around with your job and your freedom and I'm not threatened by that at all. I don't have to mansplain to you what I'm talking about. I'm just letting you know that I know that a plaid and a polka dot can sometimes match. You go, toots. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. You've been amazing. I'm here with the person behind that joke, Jen Kirkman. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's start at the very beginning. You know, what was the first kind of kernel of this joke? You know, if it, if it was, if the Earth is the result of the Big Bang, what was like the first atom of this joke? The first atom of this joke was the guy in North Carolina who yelled out of his truck at me. Yeah, yeah. It really did happen, and I was performing at a comedy club in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so the story in and of itself of just what he said mm -hmm. was the only thing on my mind at that time. Yeah. So that was how I was opening the shows with just, oh, wow. here's this little <laughs> real life thing that just happened. And then by the third show, I was starting to add in the, what does he mean he couldn't have lived without it and, and imagining his life? But it started there. Mm -hmm. And if you want some inside info, um, it didn't literally happen that way. Basically, what happened is, I think it was the comedy club manager, she and I went to Starbucks to get coffee, but it was a really, uh, it was darker out, and it was, no one was around, and she was still in the Starbucks, and I was leaving, and it was technically a parking lot, and he was driving out of the parking lot and then slowed back and said that whole conversation and she came out like oh was that guy bothering you what happened and I was like no it was the weirdest thing just happened and I told her so but I did walk to the club every night alone down you know a long stretch of a safe neighborhood but technically it was dark out and so I thought every time I walked gee I hope you know nothing bad happens but then also that comment did happen in a parking lot so I just sort of put it all together because it's really not necessary that they know it was in a parking lot. It's it's still the same feeling no matter where you are. So to kind of get a timetable, 
before we kind of move forward, how long ago was this before you taped the special? Did this happen? I think it happened in 2015 sometime. I was on the road then. Yeah. It, God, could it even? It, it definitely was 2015. No, no sooner than 2014, yeah. but somewhere in that time. And then so that night you did you just tell like, oh, this funny thing happened? Yeah. And did you even that night be change it to be about Starbucks or you, did you like the first time you tell it as is? And did you when did the switch happen where you started to kind of make it into more of a kind of story that you're fictionalizing parts of? I, I think that night, I think I said I was outside and this happened. Probably, I don't remember, but probably the first time I told it, I told it exactly. And then I think I, once I thought to add in my inner thoughts about walking alone in the South, I changed it to the sidewalk. And it was probably right away, like the second night. Because usually when I'm on the road, I try not to just open up with my first joke. I try to act like I'm actually a human in front of yeah. them. And so if something has happened to me, I'll talk about it. But it's not supposed to be a polished joke. It's just like warming the, warming myself up before I get into the jokes. So I didn't mind that none of that was really polished. And I think they enjoyed hearing a local story <laughs> about one of their own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you do those three days. And then what was your feeling of that sort of material from that at that point? So you did it for three days. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, it makes sense. I'm in North Carolina. This is a story about North Carolina. You then continue with your tour, continue doing dates. What was your feeling about that sort of story? It stayed in my act. It didn't it wasn't my opening bit in other towns, but it stayed in, and I kept developing it with what that guy's life would have looked like, and then the whole street harassment thing started being talked about a lot, and for me, it was always something, and, and every woman, it's just mm-hmm. always something we experience forever, so the topic wasn't new, but people were talking about it, so... Uh, I started saying, you know, we're constantly afraid of street harassment or when this this one incident I thought was, but it wasn't. And so it started morphing based on uh, the kind of conversation sure, that was yeah. going on. But I didn't add anything else to it. It's just the story about this guy. Then once I did it in Canada and this, I don't know if I kept this in the special, even though you just heard it, <laughs> but there was a woman in Canada who reacted to my bit where she, um, when I, when I say, you know, in 20 minutes, there's going to be candles and flowers where I'm standing. This woman went, Oh, and she was very upset Mm -hmm. and she was sad. And she was like, this joke is getting very dark. And I said, I promise it doesn't get any darker. It's a really funny story. (laughs) And she said, how can I trust it? And I said, I guess you can't. And I wasn't trying to be rude, but I was like, I guess that's the risk we all take at comedy shows. And I said, maybe you just don't have it in you tonight to be at a comedy show. She goes, I don't think I do. And she left, like very nicely. And that was part of the joke too, was that in America, we're so used to talking about getting shot by the side of the road, that we have to come and laugh about it. And in Canada, it was just like, please don't tell us about these things. So that was another side off on the joke. So it really was kind of just about America at one point, and it just kept staying with me on the road. So you have this story part of it, and then it seems like you're kind of building out. You have Essentially, you're building out, you have the middle of this joke, and then you have the end part that you add, which was the imagining this, this person's life. Um, which I will want to talk about later because it's mm-hmm. incredible. But when did the the sort of framing of it happen? Where you specifically go, oh, we're going to do, her, we're going to frame it as like this is like a harassment part. Yeah. And then 
you know, you have the part up top, which is its own sort of story and its own sort of joke that really leads into this. When did that part come into it? In a really, like, uh, selfish comedy way, um, that joke on its own was starting to get bigger laughs than my closer. Mm-hmm. So I switched it, and it became my closing joke. And then I started thinking, well, I don't like when there's just, hey, this crazy thing happened. Even though I have been adding to it, there's got to be, I mean, I'm touching on street harassment. That's such a big topic. And I got to talk about it, you know. And so I decided to frame it that way when I decided to make it my closing bit. And so at that point, I added in the general conversation about what's a compliment and what isn't because I had started to hear so much about it. I mean, that's usually the reaction I get online is, hey, take a compliment. Or if I've tweeted about, you know, just when compliments sound scary, like walking alone at night and someone says, nice coat, there's something scary about it that I think men or women actually could relate to. It brings you back to that being bullied as a kid and, and you know someone is not actually complimenting you. So I just thought that's relatable, even though I didn't frame it that way. And then you have... I won't say names, but famous people on SNL writing blogs that they believe street harassment is a compliment and they don't believe in the culture. And I'm like, someone has to say something, you know? Yeah. And someone had told me, I didn't see it, but someone told me that Louis C.K. touched on street harassment in one of his recent specials. And it, and it almost made me not want to do it because, yeah. oh, well, someone already did it and he's more famous. And every, and then I'm like, no, it's actually happened to me. I get to talk about it. And yeah. even if I repeat something that someone else has said— um, that might agree with me that like, you know, just don't say anything is the solution. I needed to talk about it. I felt very sure. like, I don't know any other special that has this in it. Like I'm doing it and I know I'm going to put this in my special. So it was sort of a coming from that angle. Like I've got to make oh, this bigger if I close on it. Yeah. You're like, oh, I know this is going to be in my special. So that means it's this where like, yeah. and, and I actually have never heard it even phrase that way, which is like when the material gets to a point where like, oh, now it's going to be a full thing. What does it need to kind of stand on its own? And you're like, oh, it needs a sort of bigger preamble to then contextualize the story. So then the, the kind of back and forth part of it where you talk to a friend and he says mm-hmm. he does it. Did that part just... <laughs> is that a fictionalized idea of like a comedian friend? Yeah, that's a fictionalized idea. I mean, it's it's one of those things where if I told the truth, it would just be too long and bumbling and not funny. Yeah. I have so many male friends who are the most liberal political people, but I walk down the street with them and they turn their head when a girl walks by. Is that bad or good? I'm not saying it is. It just is. Or they'll, you know, working in comedy writing rooms and they're looking at hot girls online and they're on Tinder and they're 50 and they're putting age 25 to 35 is what they want to date. You know, I see good men acting this way. And I've had good men ask me, why isn't that a compliment? Like, do you think when you're older, you'll miss the attention? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I mean, if I'm, yes, the person that you're in a relationship with, you hope doesn't turn their back on you when you're 60, but I will be so happy when no one is yelling out cars, you know, at me. So it, it came in the form of, I don't literally have a friend who was like, I yell nice tits, but it's just conversations with men who are asking questions over and over. It's people online, but I yeah. didn't want to turn it into an online bit. Um, it's just sort of that is 
the that guy, that friend stands for everyone who thinks that. And I think it's more digestible to say I have a friend because it shows I can interact with someone and we all have a friend we disagree with and we're we're exasperated at, at what they're saying. Instead of these people online said this, then it sounds like I'm going into my whining bit about getting teased or something. So it, I thought a friend would be just a nice way to have a conversation yeah. with the audience, and it makes it not about them either. It's like, can you believe this guy? And even if you are that guy, you're in the audience going, I can't believe that guy. Doesn't He, he doesn't get it. That person is a, such a specific type of person both, you know, like, I, 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 I don't do it. I don't stress, but it definitely, I, in that person that you created, I can imagine, like, oh, an extension of, like, whatever both – uh, things that I might do that are inappropriate, I don't know, or like insecurities of how to just interact with women trying to act properly that I would not be unclear of. You know, like yeah, it gets to the point where they're just having an existential crisis. Yeah. Like, well, can I never talk to women? And so <laughs> it's just funny how heightened it gets so quickly. Yeah. And I actually, I know I sound like um, a, an actress on a press junket, but I love that character I created. Like I love that friend. He's got so many silly questions. Like, well, what? Well, what if I yell, "You're not a bitch," and I'm like, oh my God. he. He cannot. It's it's about the I can't let go of this thing I do because I don't mean it badly. So how can it be bad? You know, you created what's like, for lack of a better word, a villain in the story, this part of the story, not really a villain, but someone who is almost as still doing the wrong thing, but doing it as close to being right as possible, mm -hmm. but still wrong because like that is the point that you're trying to make. Yeah. Then that part ends with... The part where he goes, well, it's free speech felt very much like you're talking about. As a person who hangs around a lot of comedians, it felt like a very comedian response to what you're saying. And then that builds to, like, the that part. that, And then you go down to your knees and you're like, nice diss. Yeah, yeah. Maintaining sort of the momentum of that yeah. story, was it difficult? Did you have to figure out different parts of which part you had to weigh more differently? The get on your knees, nice tits happened two weeks before I taped the special. I was in... Portland, Oregon, and I was having so much fun with that bit. I just kept adding little things to it. So that whole thing of free speech came up. That was just something that came out of my mouth two weeks before I taped it. And then I came up with like, okay, what if you say it, but we don't hear it. And <laughs> then I just made it like, if you, you know, if you must say it, like then get on your knees and scream. So that was relatively new. And Yes, in a way that could be the closer on its own. But in that bit, I, I present that I might have a solution. So we're not there yet. And so I like that there's something that could be a closer because they get riled up and then there's there's more. So now they're like, I believe that once you laugh that big, now you're listening with anticipation. Oh, she's not ending on that. Maybe there's something even better coming and maybe there's more. So, yeah, it's sort of like I don't plan the momentum, but I think it worked out nicely that it took a dip it went up, and now it's like, okay, now let me tell you this story. And then it goes back up again, and then it's like, okay, goodbye. You know, this is always the thing that I, I find so fascinating. When you, you say you thought of, like, oh, I can do this, or I can add this part. When are you doing that? Like, how much of this are you, like, literally writing down by hand? How much of you think of it ahead of time, and then you just kind of figure it out? How much are you feeling out? You know, like, in the most basic sense of the words that you're saying and that the fact that they're probably the same words you're saying over and over again, mm -hmm. where is that decision and how that how is that even happening? I don't write first. I Everything's in my head. So 
what I did to get ready for this particular special is I went on the road every weekend for six weeks in a row at comedy clubs specifically so that I had the pressure of not being in front of fans, specifically only fans, and doing five shows a week. And two shows a night sometimes is, you know, you have to start entertaining yourself. So once I've not memorized, but once I know exactly what I'm saying, something, my mind is working behind the scenes. I don't even know. And I tape it. And then I, sometimes I remember and I'll listen to the tape and I'll, I don't don't usually write, I might write it down just so I don't forget it. Like I'll write, get on knees, yell nice tips. (laughs) I don't like write it out like a script. Yeah. And then the next time I do it, I add it in. So it's all verbal with me and memorization. It's really strange because I have a terrible memory, but for this, I have a really good memory. So it it is just doing the same thing over and over and then sort of out of nowhere, the thought comes in and I do it. And it's the most exciting feeling because I knew I had the special ready in August and it would have been just fine. And I knew if I do this six weeks in a row every night, things will come to me. I just know it. That's how my creativity works. And and some of my favorite little asides or jokes came from just doing it over and over and having whatever I call like the creative magic in the back of my mind show up. It feels, and I think what's good about you as a performer and the special captures, it, though, it, though it, it obviously is rehearsed in that way, it doesn't feel old, right? Because it's still only six weeks. It's not like you did that for three years and then it's what you're doing. Right. It still feels fresh. But there is a thing that it feels like you almost are doing an improvised scene with yourself when you do it. And so much like you're you are talking the words out and mm-hmm. then like you are almost you're you're doing like the double act where you're essentially like adding to the joke. But that is the new part of you. Like you're conscious. Of, yeah. <laughs> trying to think about a phrase that the person talking is. But the back of your brain is like, oh, I know how to hide in that. And then essentially you're going back and forth with yourself. Yeah. And your comedy has that ability to kind of bounce between you and your brain version of you. Yeah, and I and definitely for the special, I mean, everything was like word for word memorized. I did not let, so, my brain shuts off when we're taping. Like it knows, do not think of new things right now. So nothing off the cuff happened in the special, but I work at making it all look like it's in the moment because I think that that's what I thought was exciting about comedy at first. And then I remember being disappointed when I went to see the same performer the next night and they did it exactly the same way. And I was like, it's a trick. But yeah, and I get I get excited when people think that. And then I get upset when they think that because I'm like, so you don't think I can write a joke? Like what? Of course that wasn't improvised. And if it is, then people better be carrying me through the streets, no. calling me a genius. So yeah, it's sort of a double-edged, it's like I've painted myself into a corner with that style. Yeah, you want both them to be like, how did she think of that in a moment? And it's like, why, how couldn't I think of that in a moment? Yeah. I'm, because you did at one point think of that in a moment. At one point, yeah. They just don't know it wasn't the moment that they filmed it. I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's so many... Especially in that bit, I mean, there's the specific wording of certain parts of it I love so much. And I think my favorite is, um, so let's talk about the, the I guess, the third of, let's say, four parts, but the where you're imagining his life if he didn't compliment you. Yes. Which seemed to came pretty quickly because there is something where he says, I can imagine not doing it. And then you're like, oh, well, then I have to imagine it. Yeah. So then you paint this... <laughs> scene of this family so what is what was that was what was it like doing that because that's essentially almost like writing a little (laughs) play that was my favorite part because it's so stupid and it's so fun um and i get to sit down on a stool and i get it's it's so silly and i really am embracing being sillier and it's just a part that i've always remembered 
crowd's liking because it's just like, I think they almost know what's coming too. When I say, imagine, well, you know, I used to have a different, um, do you remember that woman who strapped a camera to herself and walked around New York City? Yeah. And so we saw 10 hours of street harassment. So that's originally, that was in the bit. And then I figured by the time I taped the special, no one will remember. And we we are seemingly, we are talking about street harassment more. We don't need to reference that video. But in the beginning, I say, uh, that's what I'm talking about. And then I say, I wish I had a video camera on me like she did. But instead, I got, you know, I got to be a invisible with a camera, a fly on the wall of his life, and maybe it would look like this. So it, it kind of clumsy went that yeah. way. And I just edited out all the fat and just got right to it. But I don't know. It's fun. I like doing that because it's, it's, if people don't laugh at it, then fine. I'm just, in, I'm amusing myself yeah. with this little mini play in the middle of it. Generally, a lot of your comedy operates around story. So it was like a different type of thing, but still felt like you. And it was especially at the end to have that part, I thought was like, well, it felt large, which will add to like, this is a closer of it, which is like, I'm going to now inhabit all these characters. Right. I'm going to do a three-person scene that we're going to essentially do in two acts. What I wanted to get across with the guy in the in his life where he's not understood is him stopping me and talking about the shoes. He It, it wasn't like he, a man who was confused about his sexuality. It was like he didn't, or maybe he was, but because of culture and the way it puts men in corners, like you can't notice fashion or you're gay and gay is bad, you know, or you can't notice fashion because that's not masculine or whatever. And I didn't get into it, but the heart behind it was I I witnessed a man who not only was not sexually harassing me, he wasn't just complimenting me. He was having a, like an existential crisis. He was like, I have never noticed shoes in my life. Yeah. And it was sort of he I think he probably drove away going, why? Why am I into women's shoes? And like, what kind of shoes does his wife wear? I mean, has he ever complimented her outfits? And is he wondering if something's wrong with him? Or is he? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was. And it was actually really interesting because it was right after, um, I think the timeline was pretty soon after um, Caitlyn Jenner came out as Caitlyn Jenner. And I I had another weird incident that used to be part of the story where landing at the airport a weekend before, this guy, um, he's the guy that like gets the cabs for you. And he was like, hey, I really like your outfit. I hope that's not weird to say. And I was like, no, not at all. He's like, I'm really not hitting on you. But if you were my best friend, I'd want you to take me shopping. And I was like, oh, OK. And he goes, I've never said that about women's clothing. He's like, I actually would wear that outfit, but I'm a man, so I can't. But I would wear it. And I was like, OK. And I was like, <laughs> what? And then I had that incident. So it used to yeah. be kind of a bit that was longer about, like, Caitlyn Jenner is freeing all men to imagine. <laughs> but then it was just like, it's too specific. Yeah. And who can't, you know. But it's it was really about that existential crisis of, like, does nobody at home understand who I really am? <laughs> that that story of that guy made me tear up. It was so sweet. <laughs> I don't know why. I was like, That's... You're emotional that day because it's not that. It's not that sad. <laughs> it's not, I, but no, I meant I was the, no the story you just told of the guy at the airport. Oh, this one. Oh, yeah. I was like, no, yeah. that that uh, though I'm an easy cry. Uh, <laughs> my favorite line and and is uh, the he says black boots uh, as his last words, and his yeah. wife assumes what <laughs> she knows what he means, and uh, you then go uh, and then she's uh, shoving black boots on his corpse feet. Which I thought was uh, sonically very nice, but also like a very specific 
mix of language. I don't know if there's a story behind it. I mean, that and also just like the fact that you picked the two things I wrote down was that and uh, the plaid and polka dot sometimes match. You go toots, which is the last line of the thing. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything behind either of them, but. You know, when you're having those last words of the thing, did mm-hmm. you, like, have different combinations? Of, yeah. Like, it's like, oh, belts and shoes or, like, belts and, like, what were what were their other options? For other them? options were just, like, at that point, people are laughing and they know it's the closer. So it's just, like, I, I had to say things were easier to, uh, that sounded better. But I had riffs about, like, color blocking, but I don't think people know what that is. Mm-hmm. And then I had riffs about, um... And I appreciate that your that your shoes and purse aren't too matchy matchy. Not that it would be bad if it was, you know, and just all kinds of things like that. And yeah, there were different combinations, but it was mostly about that a guy would know clashing patterns sometimes are are very fashionable. And by the way, I don't even mean that that if you want to yell something out, yell something about clothing. I don't mean that. Yeah. Don't yell anything. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought that would be a nice Women seem to be behind it, and I thought it was a nice way of saying, like, it's okay to talk to each other. It's We just want you to understand, like, we don't want our bodies being looked at yeah. any time we don't want them being looked at. But still, when someone yells out something about our clothing, it's still strange because a guy wouldn't do it to a guy. So it just depends. I mean, if I'm in a Starbucks and someone comes up to me and is like, that's freaking great shoes. Like, that's fine. It's just more about yelling out of a car yeah. and interrupting someone's yeah. sense of safety and privacy. But I thought, oh, well, that'll be fun to just say, here's a solution, which really isn't a solution, but I'm a comedian, not a sociologist. So yeah, yeah. I, I just thought, let's give everyone a really silly solution that we can get behind. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting that it's almost like the crowd told you this is how we want the story to end, yeah. not with what you actually think is correct, because then it wouldn't be a joke. You'd just be like, no, to be fair, I don't want that either. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, bye. I, there were some nights when on the road I would actually, if it was a super liberal town, I would say, actually, women don't want that either, but I had to I had to have a joke here that makes the men not feel bad, and then the women would applaud. and like, But I think I'm going to end the special with a, an aside, you yeah. know? Or I had like to have a cl- it be triumphant, or like a clap of like, yeah, we agree. Yeah, <laughs> which is just like not fun. Um, we'll be right back with more Jen Kirkman after this word from our sponsor. We are back with Jen Kirkman. How did the the argument part of the act? Evolve the part that is not necessarily the joke structure, but the sort of point you were trying to make or achieving to make. I don't really remember how it came about. I just do a lot of sitting and thinking, or thinking in airports, and I think I just I learned a lot from social media about how people do and do not like to be spoken to, men. I mean, and so and I don't agree. I think they're way too sensitive when we're trying to teach them stuff. But I've got to make these people laugh as well, and I wanted. If anyone recognized themselves in that friend of mine, for them to know it's okay. So I knew it was important to, again, pick that it was a friend of mine to show I'm still in this person's life. We just have these differing views. And then I just wanted the case to be made for it's really not about that we don't want your compliment. It's that, you know, these other guys— I don't know if you guys know this, but these other guys sometimes say a compliment and then they murder us. So I know you're not one of those guys. So it's like kind of reassuring. So I knew I wanted to make that part of the argument, which is like sometimes 
a nice thing is it turns into a bad thing. So we are just protecting ourselves, you yeah. know. So I just wanted the case to be made for you guys have no idea what's going on in our heads when you do that, and it's nothing personal, and and, and just the case to be made for your nothing is really going to happen. If you do that, except we will feel weird and scared, and I know you guys don't want to do that, so just here's how it feels. Yeah, it's interesting because when you phrase it that way, it is, you know, it's the point that men don't realize that to a stranger they don't know you are not the murder type. You're just a guy, and any guy could be a murder type. It is, uh, it reminds me, John Mulaney has a joke where he's, he thought he's, someone was running towards a subway and he's also running, and then he realized he, the woman thought he was chasing her. Yeah, that happens (laughs) all the time. I've had that happen so many times. In fact, the one time I got mugged, it was time 1000 where I thought a jogger was someone mugging me, and I decided this one time to believe that it was just someone jogging, and it was someone running after me to grab my purse. So, yeah, I mean, we think I—that's just something dudes don't think about all the time. So the the idea that there was such a clear point made felt—I wouldn't say like a major shift from your previous work, but, I, you know, I've preparing for the interview, I listened to all of your hours, mm-hmm. and it definitely has felt like a shift towards, like, a sharperness to it, mm-hmm. where the story's always there, but there's a little bit more focus of, like, what the, the, the takeaway is, if anything. Is that something that you've noticed happening? Is something that you intentionally did? Is that just something that's evolved as you've been doing stand-up longer? I think it's evolved, and it's something I intentionally leaned into and now go, I, thought, I, thought, I think I'll do more of that. And I think just getting older and having more experiences in the world. And I think just social media has changed the way I see things where I get to know what everyone really thinks about stuff. And I didn't know that five years ago, you know, as much. So there's more ways to talk about the way the world is talking about things. Yeah. And and my first special was really like, you know, from the old school of comedy, which is here's who I am. Here's my day-to-day life. Here's my marital status. Here's my thoughts on this and that. So that was just, I mean, a decade of doing personal stuff about that and then putting it all together for a special that had a definite theme, which I do think was a broader theme of like, would everyone leave everyone alone about whether they have kids or whether they're married? But unfortunately, when you do something so personal, what I didn't like about it is that people thought I was preaching a life of being single, preaching anti-marriage. I, I, I thought I couldn't make it any more clear yeah. that, that that's not what I was doing. And so this special felt a lot better to it's totally personal. I'm revealing things about myself. I do, I do have road rage. I did this thing. Here are my feminist views. So it's definitely personal, but it's not so much about my life where people don't think I'm like you go girl I'm that I'm just like you you know I so I'm really trying to move away from that stuff but in your first special it really is like introduction to me here's the Mm -hmm. material I've been doing for 10 (laughs) years and so I'm well I'm trying to work on new stuff now which is so hard but I think it'll be I, I just wanted that special to have the feeling of this is where I am today Next year, check in with me. We'll see what I say then, or mm-hmm. two years from now. So, uh, you know, we mentioned that it's partly you made this joke. You're closer partly because it's getting the most laughs, and I, that's partly how it works. But it also felt like the entire special was building towards it. Yes. And I didn't know if that was both intentional also or a byproduct of the fact like, oh, I guess I've been thinking about this theme broadly. And, and uh, I mean, I guess you'd— it's sort of like the minor 
infractions that kind of exist. Yeah. Did did that theme just kind of realize when you start doing an hour? You're like, I guess these all kind of had these little moments. Or did you start tying those moments together as you realize these stories kind of have that? Yeah, I, I worked on the order so many times. I changed it up a lot. I dropped a lot of stuff. I added in the traveling alone because I thought that went really well with the street harassment. But I thought it was more gentle and you don't open with street harassment because you want people to light. I mean, it's it's so sad that we have to think about this stuff as comedians, as women, but you want people to like you. And after 45 minutes, if they're still watching, they like you. So now you get to tell them your feminist views on street <laughs> harassment. You don't start with that because you could alienate people right away. And they think, oh, my God, is there going to be 45 more minutes of this? So it's it, it became my closer because it got the most laughs. And then I was actually happy to put it there because it was like, now we're all ready for this. And then I decided to put the period story in there as, you know, I just the themes accidentally came about. But then I went... I could write a new bit or I could work on this bit and make it a thing. And I think it ties in with, um, you know, being a woman is just like being a human. Like, <laughs> it's the same thing. But here's how it specifically looks yeah. based on some things that body parts we have and things we go through. So, yeah, it was a very, like, female-specific but not your typical, hey, girls, let's get Chardonnay. You know, I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted it to be seen as, like, and this is so— uh, I wanted it to have a George Carlin-esque feel, which I know I am five billion light years away from, but I wanted it to have that, here's some crap in my head that's going on. And because I'm me, there's going to yeah. be period talk and street harassment talk that, that that a guy wouldn't have. So why not be as special and original as I can? That's interesting because, you know, it's not a thing that I would necessarily immediately think of George Carlin, but then when you say it, there is... It in terms of, you know, he sets a thing and then he, like, breaks it down. But because your background is what you are and you're more of a storyteller than he is, you're, you use storytelling to exhibit a point. So it's interesting how Yeah, it's more like to. a Richard Pryor ripoff, yeah. too. Because George Carlin is so exacting in his words. And I didn't know that, actually, until I read his daughter's book. But, I mean, it was, like, every single and word. And the pauses, yeah. Yeah, so, but it, it is it's that same vibe of, like— this is what I think this year, you know, this is what I think of terrorism. And then the next year, it's like, this is what I think about that. So I just wanted it to have that kind of feeling of it's timeless, but it's okay if I'm talking about things that in 10 years might seem weird. Like what? There was street harassment. You yeah. know, I didn't care if it, do I don't care if it doesn't age well. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. It is a thing that, you know, looking back growing up and, you know, just writing about comedy, I watch old specials and a lot of the, you know, a lot of some of Richard Pryor's stuff holds up, but then he'll talk about people that I have, like, no idea yeah. who these— You know, they'll talk about maybe prominent senators, and I don't know the senators of the 70s or something like that. But it's interesting, but, like, who cares if it's, like, people watching it now, and that's what I want. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, like, if you watched a bit, I'm sure there's comics. I'm, I think Bill Hicks used to do stuff about—and Lenny Bruce about legalizing marijuana. It's like, well, now you'd be like, oh, my God, I forgot that it yeah. wasn't, you know. So I'm sure mine will look outdated at some point, but I'd like that. So I believe it's at the top of your last special, you say something like, I'm not a political comedian mm -hmm. or anything or something like that. And and obviously, political comedy is a specific thing. Yeah. When we think of political comedy, we think of like a guy who's like, and here's the news. You know, it's either like, like Louis Black or Louis Black was the yeah. person. Or like Mart Salt. Something yes. like, like, here's the news and here's my take on it. But this special in particular, and I think they're even... Your last special had a little bit. This one in particular did not feel like it was political comedy, but it felt political. Yeah. 
did that come out of the I mean as obviously it was recorded during and filmed during an election year. Uh-huh. Was that part of it? It was also just like that's kind of where you're going? No, not really had to do with the election. It was truly just what was going on in my life. And then I started filtering things through. It just seems like people are more comfortable with women talking about being women. So I was like, I feel the freedom to do this. And I want to, I've always been interested in these topics. And so I'm going to go for it. But I didn't feel necessarily like it had anything to do with the election or anything like that. But and at the top of my first special, when I say I'm not a political comedian, I that's again like that's to the at home audience, which is I I promised this was a special about not wanting kids and divorce, but I have this quick thought up front about mm-hmm. um dumb people. And I just want you to know like this isn't a political comedy show. Uh, for better or for worse. Like, yeah. you're only getting one of these jokes, and if you don't like it, then we can get into the marriage stuff. So it's always, I'm always thinking of the home oh, audience. Um, but yeah, I think now it's like sociopolitical, I guess. I knew one of two things would happen in the results of the election is people would hate women. So, like, it's just <laughs> important for me to keep humanizing and normalizing a woman talking on stage and telling her point of view. Um, I had a guy email me once, like, I want to buy your book, but I'm not sure if I would relate because I'm a guy. And I'm like, whoa, you know, how many memoirs of dudes have I read and just never thought I wouldn't relate, you know? And so I think in culture, the one area we haven't totally mastered yet is guys thinking they'll relate when they go see a woman. And so I just want to keep talking about it and until people realize, oh, we we can relate to women's stories. We've been not doing that for this whole time. So that's sort of like my little sociopolitical goal is to just, even if I'm not saying anything about politics or something, that it is in a way political to say, I really need to tell this story about the time I didn't know what my period was. I think that is so funny. And then, you know, the election went the way it did. Does Is that still kind of your stance or is looking forward? Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned that it was hard for you to currently you're having a hard time writing material, or you yeah. said that in passing. I don't know how how has that part of it been. Well, I had all kinds of thoughts after the election. I thought I shouldn't be doing stand up; it's a distraction. I need to save the world, and I just didn't believe that people would rise up and be in the streets. I thought people would get complacent, and now I'm like, oh God, these poor people do need a distraction. <laughs> Everyone actually is marching every day and writing their senators. And just from the couple shows I've done, people are just, they want to hear about it, and they're also fine not hearing about it. But there's no um, weariness yet, because I think everyone's like, this is so crazy. What is happening? So, you know, I'm not going to work on an act about Trump, because it changes every day. And I won't have a solid, you know, I'm looking at it as a career move. Like, if I do another Netflix special, it can't be about what Trump did today. So it's got to be about the general culture. So I always go back to what people believe, how we talk about things, how it affects me. So I don't have any material about that so far, but I've, lo- I've loosened up on myself a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? My lane is being a woman and talking about things that happen to women and also not, but I'll stay in that lane and it'll help men and it will make women feel less alone, which I think is for the, the whole Women's March thing. It's like everyone like, well, what did that do? It was like it, it, it let us know we're not alone. So I... I'm easing up on myself that I have to save the world with a new kind of comedy and just remember that my lane is women's stuff and making us more human. And so 
I think that's important lane to stay in during this. You know, a lot of non-comedians like to say Trump will be good for comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and as a person who writes about comedy, people are like, oh, it must be really exciting for you. Oh, people... just can we murder them? <laughs> <laughs> and I want to. And part of why I try to ask comedians this question is to um, end that rumor that people are like, oh, it's going to be great for comedy because it's a— uh, in my opinion, it'll be very bad for comedy. But what is your opinion? Yeah, I think any time we accidentally elect a fascist uh, reality show host who has an anti-Semitic person who believes, who wants to bring about Armageddon, Steve Bannon, as his advisor, it's not good for the world. So it's it's the same question when people ask me, What's it like being a woman in comedy? It's The answer is, it's what it's like being a woman in the world. There's sexism in the world, so there's sexism in comedy. So, you know, next question, please, duh. Is is Trump good for comedy? Was he good for anything? Yeah. No. So the answer is no. <laughs> like, surely there's jokes to make, but everyone, again, is, it's not good for, like, we don't, yeah, he's orange, haha. Like, you're either going to get the same jokes over and over, or we're going to be normalizing him by making really silly jokes about him. Yeah. So I think or making to... jokes that are just like treating him like he's a regular politician. Yeah. Like, oh, we do this to everyone, like equal time, you know, equal opportunity offender. To, to really make fun of him would be to go so deep into the like Russian dossiers and, and understand, you know, it would have to be these kind of like, the only people who are doing it well is like a Samantha B kind of thing where she's just taking these, I hate this expression, deep dives <laughs> into what's going on. And so... Um, she's making the best of a terrible situation and using comedy to educate us. But God, no, he's not good for comedy. Not, that's just the weirdest question. Yeah. It's a weird thing that people think. It's like it's uh, – I, I remember I asked Seth Meyers, I feel like I now have to ask every comedian. He's like, comedy is like the lowest thing on the list of things to even mention about like what Trump might be bad yeah. for. And it's also like it, – at minimum, it forces people to be like the only comedy now that – people expect to be doing is political comedy. Yeah. It's just like if, you know, you spent 10 years not doing topical humor to expect that you now have to only be like, so uh, what did we see in the news today? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's a different kind of skill set that I don't flex that muscle every day and I don't really want to learn it. And yeah. then also, what is it towards? And, you know, like, yeah, if Hillary got elected, she doesn't have as many gaffes. It's like what's so obviously funny about her, not much. You know, we had like Bush... W, who is hilarious, just any video of him, like, dancing in Africa. But that's already funny. I can't yeah. top that. I can just, just have a clip show where I go, look at this, yeah. you know? No, I, I think that it, that is that is correct, which is like, <laughs> you know, there's other comedies existed without a president that we have to make fun of. There's yeah. lots of sketches and jokes that are not have nothing to do with people in well, Washington. that being said, though, it is interesting to note that this president is so— <laughs> upset by comedy and it's making him have a nervous breakdown that it's fantastic that people are using their platforms to just go at yeah. him and not stop. So in, and it's not good for comedy, but comedy, using comedy to irritate him yes. is a really good weapon. It's amazing. Yeah, but it's, no way did anyone want this. Yeah, political comedy might not be good for comedy, but it is a useful way of communicating yeah. and making a person be annoyed. <laughs> All right, so that sound means it's time for the laughing round. So it's like a lightning round because it's comedy. It's, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, laugh, it. it's laughing round. Um, so <laughs> if you could be any comedian f- from any era for a night, you know, like Quantum Leap style, you are in the body, but you are yourself consciously, <laughs> uh, who would it be? Oh, God. This, I 
think Lenny Bruce. Why? He was the first comic I really loved, and I used to listen to his albums when I fall asleep at night, like the way I listen to podcasts now. And I was fascinated with, you know, like you were saying before, sometimes I don't know what he's saying, you know, because it's so long ago. And But he had good, solid jokes that weren't just him reading court transcripts. And I think a lot of people forget he actually was really funny. And he was cool, and he was different, and he had his own language, and I don't necessarily want to be high, but I would like to feel what it feels like <laughs> to sit and take my time on stage and say things that um, make people think. You know, I don't—that's not—I I want, want to know what that feels like. Do you remember the first joke uh, you ever told on stage or even as, like, a kid? Yes. Can you tell um, me? As a kid, I don't remember. On stage, uh, I had written a terrible joke that I was going to do on my first ever show, and it was about Nancy Reagan's Just Say No policy, which it was 97 when I started doing comedy, so it wasn't even (laughs) relevant. And I was saying, don't say no, say maybe, that way you'll look cooler and people will think you do drugs sometimes. I thought that was genius. (laughs) And then when I got to the club, I was like, that's not funny. And I instead told an improvised story about how I was a virgin in high school, but um, and I was ashamed when I was graduating. That's all I could think of was like, yeah. I can't believe I didn't lose my virginity. And so I told that story. So that was the first thing I ever did. And that story then became a story you kept on doing, right? I never did it again because but, it still embarrasses me. But then I did it. Yeah. I did it in my special. <laughs> yeah. I brought it back. Yeah. My favorite of the kind of like constantly classic recurring tropes is a, it's called the trench coat totem, which is a kid on another kid's shoulder wearing a trench coat. Oh, yeah. Adult. adult. Uh, do you have a favorite of a similar, like a thing that always keeps on coming back that? Like a, oh, God, I, now I don't know what you mean, but it like keeps coming back into dial. Yeah, I can, think, like, I can think of another yeah. one. Uh, there's the Fibber's Closet, which is someone opens a closet and a lot of things fall out. Oh, got it, got it. I will always laugh at someone yelling something off mic. I don't know if that's the same thing. It counts. Yeah. It's just a comedian who just goes off like, oh, what are you doing? I don't know. It always makes me laugh, even if it's not funny. So your special is called Just Keep Living after the tattoo you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your favorite Matthew McConaughey movie? The <laughs> um, Dallas Buyers Club. I thought his performance was great. I don't know if I've seen any others. <laughs> I might have seen I, – I've, I've seen the same 10 minutes of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days every time I'm in a hotel. Oh, it's good. It's it is? That's, it's it's <laughs> better than you think. Okay. And also uh, it's, uh, Ghost of Girlfriend's Past is better than you think. It oh, is. okay. It's Can like, I tell you someone else's joke? Sure. Can I use the swear word? Uh, Morgan Murphy, comedian, has a great joke. She goes, that movie can be over in one minute. How to lose a guy in 10 days? Shit on the floor. (laughs) That'll do for us. Oh, cool. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, this is great. That's it for another episode of Good One. Follow Jen on social media, at Jen Kirkman. Good One is produced by me and Mike Comente. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.